Let us pray. Oh God, by your spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The first scriptural reading today comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think that they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading, today's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Listen now for God's word to you. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and Jesus welcomed them. I mean, you could preach a sermon on that line alone. Outsiders of all stripes and sorts were coming near to listen to Jesus, to hear his words, and he eats with them. He welcomes them. It sounds like such good news. 
maybe. As the Reverend Will Willimon likes to say, sometimes the difference between bad news and good news in the gospel is where you happen to be standing when you get the news. As they witnessed Jesus and his utter disregard for proper protocol and practice, as they saw him welcoming and eating with sinners, the religious folks of his day, the the scribes and the Pharisees, those who understood and interpreted and sought to live out the law, they grumbled. And it's for this reason, this particular grumbling, that Jesus tells them a story. And as, the case, as is the case for every parable of Jesus, every story he tells, it's really important to clearly identify to whom the story is given. And this parable was not told to those who had come to Jesus seeking forgiveness. This story was not given to the sinners and tax collectors, the malcontents of the day, who had come to Jesus for direction. No, this story about a flock and its odd shepherd was directed towards the religious, the righteous, the ones obeying and following the law, the ones who grumble at the associations Jesus keeps. I would argue this parable is told to us, the religious insiders, those who believe they are the ones standing squarely on the truth. And like all parables, this strange story is meant to disturb and disrupt the listener's assumptions to move them, to move us towards a deeper and fuller understanding of our faith. So if you're up for it this morning, I invite you to join me in taking up residence and taking up residence inside this story just for a few minutes so we can examine our lives, our lives of faith. We can see them through the world this parable seeks to create, a world that is very, very different than our own. Now this parable begins, like most parables do, with what appears on the surface to be a rather simple question. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Is this a trick question, Jesus? Because the answer seems obvious. None of us would, right? None of us would leave 99 people or animals that we are responsible for alone in the wilderness where they are vulnerable to danger to go out in search of the one, that one stray sheep that's lost its way. None of us would risk 99 people for the one. We might hire someone or call someone to go search for it, We might stand at the edge of the flock and holler in the hope that might hear us, but leave the entire flock unprotected? Not going to happen. No matter how special that one sheep may be, we wouldn't risk the entire flock. It's just not the logical, the smart thing to do. The one sheep doesn't matter that much. But Jesus goes on with his strange story, apparently The world in which he lives, in the world where he resides, this is something that happens all the time. Shepherds leaving their flock in search of one sheep. Well, after the shepherd 
finds his lost sheep, which happens rather quickly. He puts the sheep on its shoulders, carries it home, and rejoices, we're told, calling together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, hey, rejoice with me. Let's have a party. I found the sheep that was lost. Now, is this something you would do? Certainly not something I would do. If I risked my entire flock to find one sheep and I found said sheep, I would get back to the flock with that sheep as soon as possible. And when I got back to that flock, I'd do a little appropriate public shaming to teach the flock and that sheep a lesson about wandering off in the first place. And I certainly wouldn't bring attention to my poor shepherding skills by throwing a party. No, I would spend my money on a new fence or stronger leashes, not on party favors. And what about the 99? Am I the only one still concerned about them? Shouldn't the shepherd show them a little more compassion by getting back to them as quickly as possible? He did leave them in the wilderness after all. Doesn't the flock matter more than this one little sheep? Apparently not. Again, the world in which Jesus lives appears appears to be a world with very different values than the one we live in, which is probably the point he's trying to make with the story and why he ends his strange story with an oddly placed reminder, a reminder about there being more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Clearly, this is a dig at the scribes and Pharisees who are questioning the company Jesus keeps, but it's also a reminder of the grace that is available to those who seek it out. Those points are true, but if we stay in the story, we reside in the story for just a little bit longer and try to see the world through its lens, the only ones in the story The only ones in the parable who are in need of forgiveness are the 99 sheep. We might be tempted to think it was sin that caused the one sheep to lose its way, but that is not referenced anywhere in the story, and the party for the sheep would seem to indicate that is the case. Which makes me wonder if the ones in need of repentance in the story are the 99 who huddle together and grumble at the fact that their shepherd would put the entire flock at risk over one little lost sheep. A few years ago, after much internal hemming and hawing, after much internal struggle, I did something that was very out of character for me. I put a small... Black Lives Matter sticker on the back windshield of my car. I made this choice that went against all my hardwiring that said, Derek, don't cause a fuss. I made this choice after participating in a year-long anti-racism cohort in Cleveland, Ohio. For an entire year, once a month for a good eight hours, I explored with a small, intentionally diverse group of men and women, I explored, we explored the difficult but important topics like systemic racism, white privilege, unconscious bias, and the muddled history of race in our nation. It was a fascinating and challenging experience. 
And as we discussed the high rates of poverty, incarceration, and death among people of color, and the disparities of wealth among different racial groups, my world was altered, my worldview disrupted. Listening to story after story from people of color, stories that were so different from my stories, I began to see more of the picture. Of course, there were moments I struggled to stay present. I was the only white male in the group. There were moments I got really defensive, moments when I wanted to walk out and never come back. But in the end, in large part, because the people of color in that group kept moving towards me in compassion. When we finished our work together, I was convicted that it was time for me to use my privilege, my place, in some constructive way to make the world a better place. So I chose the incredibly simple and unremarkable act of putting a sticker on my car. Hardly revolutionary, but it was one way to remind myself and others that the peace and justice we all seek for ourselves and our communities would not be possible until black lives mattered as much as the lives of everyone else. Now, full disclosure here, I've been tempted to take that sticker off my car many times, once a week at least, over the past two years. I get concerned that people will make judgments of me before they know me, and I don't like the way that feels. I worry that I might offend people I don't mean to offend, parishioners, for example, and the parents of kids my children are trying to become friends of. And there have even been times, to be honest, that I've been worried about the safety of my family when they're in my car. But every single time I resolve to go home and peel that little sticker from my car's windshield, something happens that makes me glad I put it there. An older black man at a gas station comes over and thanks me for the sticker. A car tailgates me for several miles and then the driver gives me the finger as he flies on by. A Latino woman gives me a thumbs up at a light while the man in the car next to me on the other side shakes his head. A cop pulls me over and looks surprised when he sees who's at the wheel of the car. An 11-year-old boy, an 11-year-old kid on my son's baseball team thanks me after practice for understanding how hard it is to be black or another innocent black person is killed by senseless violence. Like all of you, I would assume, amidst all the talk about Black Lives Matter and monuments and protests and how justice is best served and achieved, like you, I've been trying to make sense of things. I don't have a grasp yet of all that's going on. And so like many of you, I've been asking two important questions. What is God up to? And what would Jesus have us do? These are two questions I keep hearing and frankly have always heard from people who are serious about how their faith in Christ should inform and impact their actions in the real world. What is God up to? And what would Jesus have us do? As I've been trying to answer these questions, I keep thinking of this parable. This parable that paints a picture of a world where a shepherd is willing to risk the safety of the flock to find one sheep and bring it home. A world where the one who is found is celebrated, not condemned, 
even as the 99 wait for their shepherd to return. A world where the shepherd believes, actually believes and lives as if his flock will never be whole until all the sheep are safely in the fold. Jesus is, of course, the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. We know this. The witness of our scriptures is clear. God stands with those, moves towards those who are tired, scared, and alone. That is what God is always up to, seeking and saving the lost and bringing them home. And because of that, I think I, think I know what Jesus would have us do now. I think what he would have us do now is what he always would have us do, follow him. Follow him. And yet, as this parable reminds us, we don't. What's the one job of a sheep besides eating grass? A sheep's primary job is to follow their shepherd. And yet, in this parable, the 99 sheep did not do that, they did not follow their shepherd as he went out to search for the member of their flock who was lost and alone. Instead of following the shepherd, the 99 stayed huddled together in, of all places, the wilderness. It's an interesting twist that in this story, it's the 99 who we are told are in the wilderness, not the one who is lost. It makes you wonder who the lost ones really are. And I wonder, could it be that it is this reluctance, this reluctance to seek and find and carry and celebrate the lost among us, could it be that this is the sin for which we need to repent? Could this be what brings joy in heaven? Not the following of the law, but our willingness to repent, to repent of our lack of empathy and compassion for those most in need of God's loving care. What if this parable that we often see as a reminder of Christ's compassion, what if this parable is actually meant to move us, the listener, towards the level of compassion that requires repentance? But a compassion that requires a turning away from the needs of the many to meet the immediate needs of the few. None of us want to leave the safety of the flock to go in search of the one who is lost. This is not the world we live in. But it is the world Jesus invites all of us to call our home. I know it's crazy out there. I I, I know a good debate, a logical debate, a thoughtful debate needs to happen amongst our leaders around the role of the police the efficacy of protest, and the process by which monuments come down. I I get all that. I understand and appreciate the fear and anxiety and anger brought on by all the disruption. But we cannot lose sight of what is behind all the protests. We cannot lose sight of what is fueling the anger and what is causing the civil unrest. There are sheep out there that are lost and that have never been given the full protection of the fold. And our Savior is out there searching for them. He's searching for them because the one sheep matters. And until that one sheep is brought into the fold and given the protection it deserves, none of the sheep are safe. 
Until the one sheep matters as much as the 99, we are all living in the wilderness. It's funny to think about, but if all those sheep had followed the shepherd as he searched for the one who was lost, none of them would have been left alone. If we are willing to leave behind our privilege and protection to follow Jesus and find, carry, care for, and celebrate those who were lost and then found, none of us, none of us would ever be alone. And the first step to following Jesus is always repentance, a turning away, a turning away from our desire for security, the familiar, and the safety of the fold, a turning away so we can follow the one who will go anywhere to seek out and save the lost and bring them home. In his book, Living Without Emonies, the Reverend Sam Wells makes a really interesting observation about where Jesus chooses to spend his time. If you analyze the life of Jesus closely, he argues, you will notice he spends about one week working inside a religious institution. Prior to that, Jesus spends about three years helping other people on his way to the temple, which means he spent the bulk of his life, 30 years, with the people where they live. May this be true for us as well. Amen.